theyeshiva.net. So the classic four worlds that are often discussed in Teres Hanister, Atzilus Bri Yitzir are all part of the process which we call Mamali Kalalman. Mamali Kalalman basically means that there is a different state of consciousness in every creature, and there's a different state of spiritual sensitivity in every creature. One cannot experience the perception of reality in one world to the perception of reality in a different <coughs> world. And that's really what we mean when we speak about the distinct worlds. We're not talking about four distinct realities that are not connected to each other. There's a planet here, and there's a planet here, and there's a planet here. Actually, as we, we, we basically have been saying, these are really four, if you, if you want to say it in a more abstract way, it's really four worlds means really four perceptions, four states of consciousness. Four people looking at the same reality and seeing different things. That's what it is. They're seeing different things in it. To give a little dogma for this, I don't know if it's Mamash an accurate dogma, but I think it's a, uh, at least it uh, invites us somewhat into this, into this way of thinking. As we see here, he, ta- he explains that Atzilus is Olam Ha'achtos. Mm-hmm. It's the ultimate Rishus Hayachit. Or in the words of the Zohar, in Tikkuni Zohar, Ihu Hichad. It's a place where he and his energy, his chiyus, his characteristics are completely one. And then there's already a concept of Hamoitzi B'mispert Tzvam. Moitzi M'Rishus Hayachit L'Rishus HaRabim, but that itself, there's different Rishus, all the way down to... Uh, the ultimate Rishus Rabbim, which is a world of Pirut. What does uh, what does this mean? Let's give a mashal that I think could make it a little clearer. Any any person, there's an expression in English. Two people fail. People who don't have a plan and people who stick to their plan. <laughs> if you don't have a plan, you fail because you're disorganized. You don't know what you're doing. Imagine you build a house without a plan. It happens constantly, right? You see, this is the house I want. The contractor puts up the house. No, I didn't want this. I didn't want that. So now you need another, another half a million dollars to fix all your mistakes. And then you don't want that either. You need to have a plan. You always need a plan. But there's another type of failure, and that is if you stick to the plan. You also have to be able to say, you know what? This plan has got to go to the dustbin. You have to be able to uh, be adventurous and creative when the moment calls for it. But let's talk about the first thing, a plan. What does it mean to have a plan? Anything you want to build, call it a business, an organization, a website, a movement, a shul, a community, a house, a palace, a summer home, whatever it is, a family, a career, Anything you want to build, something mamashistic. Of course, if it's bigger, this requires much more work, but the concept is the same in almost anything. Needs at least four stages. And those are the four stages of Atsilas, Bri, Yitzir, in mystical terminology. Stage number one is a vision. And this is important, a vision. A vision is why. What's the need you're filling? What, let's say you want to write a book. What's your vision? What do you want to accomplish? What's your mission statement? Before, don't tell me what you're doing and don't tell me how you're doing. 
Tell me why you're doing. Tell me why. What's the soul behind it? Give me your why. Is there a void you're trying to fill? Do you want to become famous, powerful, rich? Do you want to be influential because you don't like yourself and you need, you need to be popular? Do you want to be popular because you feel a fire in your bones to change the world? Is it because your mother told you that you were the Messiah? Is it because you want to be away from house as much as possible? So you have to be busy. Whatever it is, that's a pretty poor vision. But the point is, what's the driving force behind it? Why is the end goal? Yeah. What's your goal? What's your ultimate goal? Don't tell me what and don't tell me how. We're going to get there. I want to know what's your vision. What do you want to accomplish with this? Stop because you're bored. If there's a why, there could be a what. I want to do something. That's the first step. What's your vision? And the vision could be written in a sentence. If it can be written in a sentence, you could throw it into the garbage. If it takes you nine pages to write your vision, it's not a vision. A vision can always be summed up, right? Two words, three words, four words. You know what the vision of Avis is? We try hard. <laughs> we try hard. <laughs> that's what they say. But what's the vision? Well, that's everybody's vision. That's everybody's vision. That's CNN's vision too. They're not busy the shape Shemai. But the specific vision is to rent as many cars as possible. And that's it. Now, it sounds simple. It's not simple to have a vision. Trust me, it's one of the hardest things for people. Because you have to be very clear about your drives, your emotions. Most people are not going to say, I want to write a book simply because uh, I need, you know, I feel like I'm a failure. They're going to say, I want to change the world. Really? You really want to change the world? You really need to change the world? Or it's just you don't have certain things and you're trying to fill a void. It's, it's very important to be honest about your vision because if not, there's going to be toxicity that's going to feed everything and you're not going to be aware of it. If you're aware of somebody who says, I just want to make money, I don't have any other cheshbon. I want to be on the list of multi-millionaires. Fine. The honesty is helpful because you can then deal with it. doesn't mean it's the most noble thing in the world. Maybe it is, but at least you know what your vision is. The vision could be very simple. could be very brute. could be very beastly. But this is your vision. It could be very noble. Often it's a mixture of both, which is normal. There's ego and there's nobility. I mean, that's how we all are. The selfishness and the selflessness. A person is a complex creature. But now you have a vision, right? The vision starts before. So let's say an author, before he starts the book, if it's a real writer, he has a vision. What do I want people should get out of this book? That's going to be one line. One line. What I want should happen. They should become this. They should become that. They should become this. Or my shul, or my community, or my organization, or my, or my job, etc. Then there's what. Not, you know why, but what? What, what are you going to do? The why you could do through a million different methods. There's a what. You have to create a plan for yourself. And the plan is really a general outline of what you want to do in order to fulfill this vision. The what is still very general. I'm going to do this and this and this and this. Now you have to flesh out your plan. How are you going to do it? You gave me a what, now tell me how. Tell me the details. You need a budget. You need money, you need investors, you need partners, you need a place, you need a secretary. You need, you need this, you need that. It's a whole process. This is very detailed-oriented. This could be nine pages, this could be 90 pages. Now comes stage number four. Stage number four is doing it. <laughs> Action. 
action. You get it? There's the why, there's the what, there's the how, and there's the now. Very good. The now. <laughs> Implementation. If any of you in camp wrote plays, <laughs> or for entertainment you wrote a play, you know, a good play, or really any production, this is even true with a symphony, it's true if you write music, it's true with art, I'm just giving a play because it's a very vivid example. Before you write a play, and you write your story, you have to have a vision. What, what theme do you want to bring out? That's the vision behind the play. After you have the vision, okay, you have your what, so what are you going to do? You're going to tell a story about Ploini Almoini, right? But that's still not ready for a play. Now you have to flesh it out. How are you going to tell the story? You're going to have 49 scenes. In the first scene, you're going to have these props and these pieces of art. You're going to have three people uh, wearing these costumes. You're going to have light here. The details, this is very powerful. You have on paper the entire script of the play, that's stage three. But you still don't have your play. Now you have to implement it. And implement it, you have to bring in the people. Till stage four, there's not much room for the corruption of the plan. Why? Because it's still your, your own preparation. Stage four, now, let's say in my house, I have to bring in the contractors. Once I have the contractors and the builders, they are not necessarily, necessarily aligned with my vision. Right? So I turn to my contractor, I say, I don't understand. We made up that the window is going to be there. Why is the window here and why is the bathroom there? You know, oh, for the wiring, suddenly he pulls a wire and destroys your whole vision. He's not aligned with your aesthetical sensitivities, or I should say your wife's aesthetical sensitivities, to be more accurate. He's busy figuring, he just needs his wires organized. So suddenly there's a whole churban. Imagine the actors on stage say, what script, one script, we're taking over. And they do their own thing. They do their own thing. Here there could be the most dissonance, the most period between the, the vision and the, and the realization of the vision because there's so many other forces. The reason we have these four stages in any production is because the Rebbeinah Shalom Kevayachal, when he created his play, when he wrote his play, or built his home, or uh, built his institution called Olam Hazah, mm-hmm also goes through four stages. Atzilus bri yitzirasiya. Atzilus, in many, way, many ways, is the vision. To put it this way, what's the divine vision of creation? What's the divine purpose of creation? Bria is already creation. It's not divine. Bria is creation. Because, remember, the vision is always you. The vision is always in you. It's part of your, your, your bones, your kishkas. This is my vision. It's me. Bria is already what? Bria is already on paper. What do you want? I want X, Y, Z, at least generally. Yitzira is formation. You take the creation and you create form to it. Because from the what, you're not going to get anywhere. You need a how. Give it form. Give your play form. Give your house form. Give your institution form. Tell me exactly what's going to be. Stam, the ideas of what you're going to build are very nice. That's Bria. That's the substance itself. But you need to be create a Tzura. There's Chaimer and there's Tzura. Chaimer is the core material. Tzura is fleshing it out. Now is Asiya, action, implementation. Now let's think about this in a little more abstract ways. When I look at my business, if I'm the creator, what do I see in it? 
I may have a business with 30,000 employees. I may have 100 buildings. I may have a whole campus and another campus and another campus. There's a lot going on here. There's a computer department. There's a sanitary department. There's an engineering department. There's a manufacturing. There's uh, exporting. There's so many. And then there's a cafeteria, the most important part. It's all, when I come into it, right, if I'm the boss, I look at all the details. What do I see? Do I see 30,000 details? I see one. I see my vision. Not because they don't exist, but in every Nekuda, I see what was ich will uftan, what I want to accomplish. I see that one line, that mission statement. But what about the janitor who's coming to clean? He doesn't even know. He knows he needs his paycheck. He gets $25 an hour. That's it he cares about. So his details are details. He has to do this. And the guy who comes to Prague to fix the computer, he has to fix the computer. He's not in touch with the overlying, all-encompassing vision that really integrates all the details into one. That's Pshat Atzilis' Rishus HaYachet. It's the same person looking at the same world, but when I look at the world, what do I see? I see there's a car, there's a sign, there's a tree, there's construction, <laughs> there's Forche, there's a Shul, there's you, everybody's on their own. This is called a fragmented world. You fend for yourself, I fend for myself. There is communication because we need each other. But essentially it's a world of period. Why? Because I'm not in touch with the atzillus of the world. What does it mean, Eilam Atzillus? Eilam Atzillus is this world. Eilam Atzillus means you put on the glasses and what do you see? You see one. Why do you see one? Because you see it from the perspective of Hashem's vision and therefore everything is harmonious. Everything is part of one integrated reality. There's no distinctions. It's all essentially divine. Because you see it from the divine perspective. And then in each world, you go a little further out. And as you go further out, things become more and more fragmented. So in the world of Bria, it's still very close to the original vision. Because what is Bria? Bria is the what. (laughs) The what? So it's really reflecting the vision. But you're not anymore articulating the vision. You're already talking about what. And because you're talking about what, not why, so then you can't compare it to that level of achtos, but still you're talking about a general plan that reflects the vision. Yitzira, you talk about a very detailed plan. It still reflects the vision. But you're talking about details by definition. The world of Asiyah is suddenly where implementation happens. And where implementation happens in the world of action, here there's room for what we would call sin, transgression, disruption, dissonance, and complete fragmentation. Completely not connected. In a person himself you have this. How do you look at your own life? Do you live your life from inside out, or do you live your life from outside in? From inside out means you have a vision for your life, and your day follows your vision. So in other words, you wake up in the morning, you have a vision. And then your day facilitates that vision. There's why, there's what, there's how, and there's now. But what if I don't have that? I don't have that uh, compass that guides me. So basically I respond almost to situations. I go from Asiya, and hopefully maybe there'll be a vision one day. So then I, by definition, live a fragmented life because you define my day, I don't define my day. Oh, I just got a text. Oh, I have to answer. Oh, I just got a call. Oh, I have to run. Where you're running. Is there a vision? If it fits into the vision, do it. If not, why are you doing it?
So almost in any Nakuda in life, the most healthy functional way of success is Atsilas Bri Yitzirasi. When Asiya follows Yitzira Bri Atsilas, it's wholesome. If not, there's gonna be holes somewhere. And we can always we can always see this. Huh? Yeah. That one line is 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 deep. Now, in, in Chassidus, there's a famous expression: "This Jew is a neshama datzilus. This Jew a neshama debriya." For example, Arizal says Rashbi was a neshama of atzilus. The Rambam was a neshama of bria. Most tanoim and amirayim neshamas of bria. Another Jew, Neshama the Yitzir. Another Jew, what does this mean? This is not uh, uh, humorous language. It's very precise. A Neshama Datsilis means he, looks, he, he walks the same earth that I walk and you walk. But his glasses, his perception are glad, his prescription, it's a description of Eilam So the way he looks at a person or at an animal or at a grain of sand or at a flower or at a frog or at a star, is from the perception of Elam HaTzilus. Rishus HaYachit. It's all one private domain. There's no Rishus HaRab. Because every detail, the details are there. HaTzilus doesn't mean there's no world. It's the same world. But it's a completely different world. What do we mean a completely different world? In every Nekudah of the world, he sees nothing but a reflection of the divine energy reflecting the divine vision that is the source and the fuel of this particular item. So everything is traced back to its original source in Hashem's machshava, and that's what he sees in it. When he looks at an atom, he looks at a molecule, or he looks at a, a table, he sees it from its ultimate, just like the scientist doesn't just look at the external matter. He looks at the internal composition. And just like the physicist, never mind the modern physicist, doesn't only look at the internal, but looks even that which is deeper than the regular pneumius. He looks at the toich and toich as much as he can explore and excavate. The spiritual scientist, the one who's sensitive to the origin of the world, not just scientifically, but spiritually, he's looking for the DNA spiritually, so any nekudah he traces back, what is it in God's machshava? What is this in God's thought? How does this fit into God's vision? And he, does not, he doesn't only ask what's in God's thought. That's Yitzira, that's Bria. What is it in Hashem's vision? In other words, the whole world is really mamish one. There's absolutely no distinctions. Either are distinctions, but those distinctions don't assume an autonomous sense of separation or fragmentation. It's all one nakud. This is even true in a marriage, in a relationship. Does your marriage have a vision? Or it's just, we're together, so let's work it out. Let's figure it out. Okay, garbage time, garbage time. Vacation time, vacation time. Every Nekudah. That's why Pesach is so associated with, uh, with number four. Because freedom, freedom is a process of living from inside out, not from outside in. And whenever you live from inside out, you need the four stages. So the four Bonim, it says, the Arizal says, the four Koises, says, all the fours in the Seder, there's a few things that are number four, right? The Dalit Kaisas, the four questions, Manishtanot, all Dal Dalit Dalimas. Arba Rishuyas Lashabis are the Dalit Dalimas. Why? Why? So it's an interesting thing. There's a Taisvis in Masechta Shabbos. Right in the beginning of Shabbos, Taisvis asks, Why is it that the first period of Shabbos is about Yitzhiya Shabbos, which means you're not allowed to carry on Shabbos? 
In Perik Zion of Shabbos, there's Lamatas Malachas, and Hamaitzim Rishus Lirishus is which one? 39. So why Mesech the Shabbos does it suddenly reign supreme? It gets the first one when it's really the 39th Malacha. So Taisvis answers because Haitzah Malacha Gruyahi. Haitzah is not a serious Malacha, it's an inferior Malacha because it doesn't look like you're doing anything. I put a key into my pocket and I go out to Rishus Haram, what did I do? I cooked, I changed the food. I plowed, I changed the earth. I planted, I harvested, right? I lit a fire, but I was mighty mashuz, I didn't do anything. It's called malacha grua in halacha. It's a shvacha malacha. So that's why Masech the Shabbos, dafka begins with that. That's al pinigla, al pipshat. That's a toysvus in Shabbos. The Balatanya explains that there's something deeper. Haitzami Rishus Rishus captures the essence of Shabbos. Why? All the malachas of Shabbos essentially are mitzim yirushos yirushos. All the malachas of Shabbos. What's the idea of Shabbos? The idea of Shabbos is aliyah sa'elamus, that the world is sublimated. What do we mean the world is sublimated? On Shabbos, there's a kedusha in the world. What means a kedusha in the world? On Shabbos, one could and ought to perceive the world from a more divine vantage point. In other words, as a private domain, not as a public domain. When I take out from Shabbos, from Rishus HaYachet to Rishus HaRab, what does it represent? It represents the idea that I'm transporting something from a place where there's oneness to a place where there's multiplicity. And that is the essence of Chilul Shabbos. The essence of all the Malachas of Shabbos is not in touch with the fact that on Shabbos there's complete oneness. What's the difference of a Rishus HaYachet and a Rishus HaRab? A Rishus HaYachet, as I said, can have a thousand people in it. I can have a thousand people in my house if I have the space. But it's still a Rishus HaYachid. Why? Because all the people know that they're in my dining room. And therefore, even though they're all different, but ultimately there's one energy, there's one structure that defines them. They're all part of that structure. They're all in it. And it's a very practical thing. When you're in somebody's house, you're cognizant of it. We're talking a normal person. You're cognizant. There's a certain energy that you're part of. You go into somebody else's energy. That's the definition of coming to somebody's house. It's not so easy always to go to somebody's house. You have to be ready to absorb a different person's energy. Some people it's very easy, some people it's very hard. If you're a sensitive person, sometimes you come back and you have to take whatever. It's not, you have to, you know, detox a little bit. The point is that you're going into somebody else's energy. What's a Rishos Haram? Rishos Haram, by definition, is there's no owner. You ever walk on Fifth Avenue? Who owns Fifth Avenue? Whose energy, <laughs> whose energy dominates Madison Avenue or Second Avenue Manhattan? Whose energy is it? absolute anarchy. There's no energy. You have yours, I have mine, and it's both legitimate. That's the difference of Eilam HaTzilis and Eilam HaSiyah. Here there's a Rishus HaYachet. Here there's a Rishus HaRabim. Maitzim Rishus HaYachet, Rishus HaRabim is really the process of evolution from higher to lower to lower to lower. Then there's the worlds in the middle, which are basically Karmelis and Amakim Torah, which mean HaTayra are Rishus HaYachet. Why are they Rishus HaYachet? Because they're really still in an element of unity. Because when you look at the script of the play, even the details, you could sense the vision. It's not outside of the realm of the vision, even though it's very detailed-oriented. Masha'inkin, in, uh, in Asiyah, where there's complete concealment, you don't anymore see a vision. Because everybody is, so to speak, on their own. So here you have complete Rishusarabim. So the Arba Rishuyas, this is the process of Ishtashilas, of evolution. So when we speak about the world, you can have a neshama of Bria. What's a neshama of Bria? Neshama of Bria means your glasses is of the perception of Bria. Neshama of Yitzir is, 
you see the world the way Yitzira looks at the world. Neshama Vasiya means you look at the world the way we look at the world, at least many of us, which means intuitively we see a completely fragmented world. We see absolutely no unity, no harmony, no synthesis, no integration. All we see is absolute fragmentation. In our own lives, conflicts, drives, paradoxes, and everywhere around us, it starts within yourself. Where the other extreme, in Atzillus, where there's absolutely no protein, even though there could be billions and trillions and zillions of protein, but there's really one clown, it's a Rishus HaYochet. And Rishus HaYochet, everything in the Rishus, everything in the Rishus is one. Why? Because there's a Yochet that dominates it. There's a Yechid HaShalom that dominates it. Rishus HaRabim is the opposite extreme. Nothing is Yochet. Everything is on its own. It's a Rishus for, for absolute multiplicity. That's why the closer you get to Olam Atzillus, as the Mishamas, these great men were, there'll be less of a problem with things like Right. Back to the Klal. Back to the Klal. So that's why we have it in the morning, Rabbi Shmolem, Bishloch, Esmimidus, Atayr, Nedreshes. Balatanya explains elsewhere, there's Klal or Prat, there's Prat or Klal, and there's Klal, Prat or Klal. So without getting into now the halachic discussions of what that is, it's a very interesting sudya in Gemara. How, what's Prat, Klal, and Prat? What's Prat, Prat, and Klal? What's Prat, Klal, Prat, or Klal? But like everything, it revolves from the spiritual ideas of Torah. There's a way of looking at the world from Klal. But the Klal goes into Prat. Then there's the opposite. You start with the Prat and you trace the Prat back to the Klal. And ultimately, the purpose of creation is Klal, Prat, and then from the Prat you go back to Klal. And that's the Roya Nesanish with the Shem Nesanir by Matan Torah. Because what you hear, as I spoke Shavu, is what you, when we hear something, it's always detailed-oriented. I can't hear the full picture until you finish. I can only hear one detail of a story. I could see the full picture. So by Matan Torah, they saw what is heard, they heard what is seen. In other words, what is usually heard, which is the details, they suddenly saw. And in every detail, they saw the full picture. On the other hand, Shaiman and Sanir, what they saw, what's usually seen, they heard, in other words, they learned how to bring down the big picture into the details. And those are two unique arts. But after that, there's a division. There's Re'i and there's Shmiya. There's Tashma and there's Tachazi. So, the Neshama of Atzillus walks the world. Same world. Moshe Rabbeinu is a Neshama of Atzillus. But their sensitivity is a different sensitivity. In many ways, it would be like the conductor of the symphony. You ever watch the conductor? He doesn't say a word for three hours. You ever saw that? He jumps at Mahmoud Ahent. He's flying. He's schwitzing nonstop. He's the most serious guy in the room. But he doesn't say, he doesn't say a word. But what, from his experience, what's happening? There could be 600, 600 people playing instruments in the biggest symphonies, or 100 or 300, whatever it is. But it's really one Nakuda. Everyone is contributing to that ballad, to that song, to that symphony. And he is ensuring that everybody is in tune to the same, to the same vision. In his soul, there's really all oneness. Even though Nitzias... Every person on his own got to play his instrument. I can't play your instrument. I have to play mine. If I start thinking about the drummer or the violinist or the one, uh, the one on the harp or the cello rather than my, uh, say, guitar or whatever, my piano, I'll disrupt the whole thing. But there's one person in whose soul consciousness, it's all, it's all one. It's completely one. 
And the more you go back, the higher, higher, higher you go back, it's all one akuda. And that's basically the vision, the way it is within Hashem Himself, Kivayachal. That's why we don't call it a creation. Oilam Atzilus, we don't call it a world of creation. We call it a divine world. Because all the pratim of the Bria there are from what? Are from the experience of the divine vision, the divine Machshav. Bria is already a plan, an outline, so to speak, outside of him. It's still very close. It's still very close. It's a holy world. It's not a world of, uh, of clippers, of shells, because it's Olam HaBriya. Olam HaYitzirah is the same. Olam HaSiyah, that's where the real action happens. Because here there could be, there could be a complete, uh, complete uh, dissonance. Okay, Yutaifus... Okay, Tazayin, we're holding already uh, Siv Gimel, I believe, right? Or just the two lines before Siv Gimel. That's Tazayin, column one, page 31 in Bamidbar. So in summation of all of this, you see the last line before Peri Gimel. The kol zel b'chinas ha'alev shobchinas b'malek halalman kiseder shtalshlos hamadregas. This is how he sums up all this that we spoke. What's all this? The whole concept of the hishtalshlos, the evolution of the worlds from atzilus to yitzira to bria to yitzira to asiyah, all this is included in the first state of energy that we defined flows from Hashem into the universes, which is all called Memale Kalam, and He fills the world according to a system and a structure and hierarchy of what we call the chain of steps, the chain of levels morphing from a higher state to a lower state, meaning a state of consciousness in which, in, which, in which one feels the divine more would be a higher madrega, a state of consciousness in which one feels the divine less. In other words, the unity less is a lower madrega until there may be a madrega where one has completely no recognition or consciousness of the divine. And this would be oilam hapirud in which there is no recognition any, in any case of unity. Because the Hergish of Achtos, the Hergish of Kalal, the Hergish of Rishus HaYachid is always commensurate with how much one recognizes the divine reality of that universe. The more one recognizes the divine underlying core of that universe, the more one recognizes the unity. Generally, this is true. The deeper you go into the substance of something, the more you could see the similarities between one and the other. The more you focus on the externalities, the less you will see the similarities. This is a big side in Kedusha. Kedusha searches for the Pnimius, and therefore it sees the Achtos. 
when you look at the klipa, which means the shell, the externalities, you see the chitzaymis. We know this pasha to be in gashmias, right? The more we study what makes really up matter, the more we see how similar two things that seem completely disconnected are, right? You look at the, you look at a, uh, you look at the frog, or you look at the, at the worm, or you look at the butterfly. What's the shaykhs between you and that? But if you would study, actually, the matter that makes it up, really, the more pneumatic you will go, you will see quite many, many similarities. In fact, uh, how different is the DNA? What really differentiates us from other things in the world? It's tiny, little, little protem. Now, that's, that's significant. Those shinuyim are very, very significant. But the point is, the deeper you go in, really means... The world is made up from words. The DNA of the universe is letters. It's words. It's all Isis. Which means we're all words. We're all energy. The question is how the energy is manifested because everything is in a... This is, this is part of a Malakalama. So the deeper we go, the more Achtos there is. The more Achtos. It's not actually Derech He brought in here Hilchas Shabbos. It's in Sunnah Shabbos. This is how Teres Achsidus, how Chassidus, explains many of the Malachas of Shabbos. The Malachas of Shabbos are Usr. You know, sometimes it's a little perplexing, Al Pipshat, because an Isr Skila, right, an Isr Skila for making a knot on Shabbos. I mean, you know, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand. He violates Kedusha's Shabbos because he makes a double knot, right, on Shabbos. It's hard to understand. He unties, he undoes the knot. You take flour and you knead it with water and you make a dough and you have to bring a carbon chatos in the Beis HaMikdash. If it was Bishtoy, if you didn't know, if you didn't know it's Shabbos, you didn't know that it's Asr to do, or, uh, you know, you didn't, you didn't know, it wasn't amazing. The amazing, if there's Edim and Asra. Just like this four Olamas, when we talk about the world, there's also four Olamas when we talk about Torah. When we talk about Torah, same thing, you have to understand. Everything we spoke about, vision, what, the vision, the what, the how, and the now, it also, also exists in Torah. In other words, I could learn Torah on four different levels. And really many, many more levels. The four worlds are, gener- are general, Klolem. Each world has uh, endless protein. So one would just see the outer manifestation of Torah. What the Torah says on a concrete level. I can go deeper into Torah and dissect it and see the underlying formula, the script behind it. And then I could look for the general principles of the script. And then I could discover the actual vision, vision behind it. The more one does that, the more Torah becomes a Rishus Hayachid rather than a Rishus HaRabim. The Ragachavar was fond of quoting a Toisefta in Sanhedrin Perigvav. The Bryson, the Toisefta, there's only certain people in every generation who know Toisefta Balpe. Right? There's people who know Shaz Balpe. Toisefta, Yerushalmi, these are already. I went from the bottom to the top, which is usually how we go. 
unless you're in a shamadatsilis, you start from outside in, you don't start from inside out. Just like when I look at a table, I see a table, that's how I start. Then I could go to the next level. From the chitzonius to the pneumius. That's how we do it also with people. All right? I see somebody, I see the external. What did I, I was once in a building, so they have the secretary sitting in the front desk, so they write, director of first impressions. That's her job. She's the director of first impressions. First impressions are important. They're not really important once you know the person. But they're important for the world of chitzaynis. They're important, you know, to put the person, you know, to give them a nice smile when they come in and tell them how happy you are to see them. Kevayachal. So the Rebbe Chava was fond of bringing the Taisefta and Sanhedrin. The the Taisefta brings a machlekes there between the Meir and the Chachamim. It's a very interesting machlekes. The Chlal in Halacha, if a Rebbe is giving a shir or sheshiva or rov. And there's two Talmidim asking. And one is asking from the sugya. And one says, oh, I have a question from something I learned yesterday, you know. So the system is that shayel ke'inyin v'shel shalai ke'inyin. So there's a hierarchy. You answer first the person who asked in the inyin. You're learning hilchas muktza. He's asking hilchas muktza. He answer muktza. Another person is asking you hilchas ribis. Fine, we'll get to hilchas ribis. Now we're talking about this. There's no such a thing. You know why? Listen to the words. The whole Torah is one Inyan. There's no such a thing he's asking Shalaika Inyan. Ah, you're learning Hilchis, Kaddish. And this guy is asking a Shaila of how you write a get. He's asking a Shaila when your Kaili becomes Tameh. He's asking a Shaila of Hilchis, Shchita. One in the world is the connection between Kaddish and Shchita or Ribis or Erevin. Or It's all one inyan. Now, what does this mean? It's very hard to understand. It's anything but one inyan. What are the commonalities? Of course. Is it all Torah? It's all Torah, but it's not one inyan. The emesis. The Rakhachava was very fond of bringing this. That if you don't see that it's inyan echad, he didn't understand it. It's really inyan echad. Was haste. For this, you have to um, uh, extricate the particular halacha from its outer, so to speak, shell and apply and find its inner core. And then when you could trace it back to its inner core, suddenly you can discover that the principle, the principle is similar in this halacha and in in 200 other halachas. Even though the outer discussion is about two different topics, but it's inyan echot. It's really one theme that's being conveyed, maybe in different halachas, in different ways, in different manifestations, and different gedarim. And we even have an halachi, you can't learn iser from mum, and there's halacha, there's hagada, there's ein lemeidim alifnei matan toyna emes. That itself is gedarim and halacha. But the more I could go to the core of it, and suddenly I see, oh, on an inner level, the more pnimius, the more similarities. And then there's a level, so to speak, of atzilus, where it's one. It's all mamish. It's all mamish one, because you get mamish, mamish to the core, to the core of Torah. Now, it's not the normal way of learning. I mean, you're learning certain halachas, right? You learn halachas. The Gemara says in Shabbos, Kikoy Rebbe Ba'ai Masechta, Leisa Shailu Masechta Achirita. Rebbe's in one Masechta, though. Don't ask him from another Masechta because he may not uh, be ready for that Masechta. So that's, you know, we're human beings. We go from the outside inside. But Kola Torah 
is inyan echad. It's one. Uh, it's one inyan. Okay. So now, let's take take making a knot on Shabbos. What's the problem with making a knot on Shabbos on a deeper level, on a visionary level? Of course, we have to assume that halacha attributes enormous significance to human action, which we don't. We look at human action and we say, who cares? But halacha doesn't see it that way. Human action is somehow very dramatic. It has dramatic impacts. It has cataclysmic effects. What the human does or doesn't do in halacha is very, very powerful. What's the problem of making a knot on Shabbos? What's a knot? A knot is you take two separate entities and you connect them together through the means of a knot, a kesha. Let me ask you a question. If you see somebody tying a rope around their body, they're tying a rope from their arm, connecting it to their stomach, you say, what are you doing? Or they have somebody else do it for them. What are you doing? person says, I want to connect my body. I want to, uh, I want to feel like an integrated person. Well, we're dealing with a serious situation here. We're dealing with a serious situation because you are one, Baruch Hashem. Your arm is part of your body. So first of all, you don't need a rope to create unity. A rope, you create unity when the unity is superficial, when the unity is imposed. Okay. That's number one. You're, 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 you're push at one. Number two, if you're chas v'shalom, not one, <laughs> the rope is not, going to, uh, is not going to do the trick. You need something far more severe. So first of all, you're one. You don't need a kesher. And second of all, this is not going to do the kesher. This is good for two parts of a string that, 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 that tore, they sever it, and you have, to, you have to bring them back together. In other words, there is a holistic oneness. There is an essential oneness. And the kesher, the knot, is not going to substitute that oneness. You don't need the kesher, and even if, and if, if you do, the kesher is not going to do the trick, because what the body needs is a different type of level of integration. It's essentially one organism. And the knot is not going to create a connection between the brain and the, and the this, and Khalila and the other parts of the body. What happens on Shabbos? On Shabbos, the world becomes a Rosh Hashayachet. On Shabbos, the doors of perception are cleansed. In Oisius of Kabbalah and Chesedes, there's Aliyah Sha'ilamas. Anybody who even tasted the terminology of Svarim Hagdoshim knows the key word for Shabbos in Torah Sanistri is Aliyah Sha'ilamas. We speak about it in the Kegavna, for those who say the Kegavna, not Menegashkenaz, which says by Mehmad Likin, but Nusach Svart says a section from Zoya. The concept there is, there's Aliyah Sa'ilamas, the Inun Mesiachad in La'ela Ba'echad, Ufhach Yisechad, Zasate Beroza Da'echad, you may know it from Pinchik's Rosa the Shabbos, even if not from Davinik. It's a nice niggin. What is it? Yavna de inim sachna leila bachad of hochi e sechadus la sata beraza dechad. Even down here, there's a unity. La meve yemen la ela chod la kovel chod, la meve echod be echod hashet. If you see kagavan, even a simple, it's a pity people don't understand what it means. It's really unbelievably romantic words. It's a very powerful idea. The idea of Shabbos is la meve echod be echod. We live in a world of complete fragmentation. We make knots a whole week. A whole week, we create superficial relationships. You want to invest in my company? Let's go out for lunch. We create friendships that are based on the recognition that we are fragmented. But I need you, you need me. So therefore, we create relationships in life. Many of them are superficial. Some of them hopefully become deeper. Marriage, v'hoyu l'basar echad, and so forth. Right? Now imagine somebody comes to a therapist and he says... You come to Mr. Lem, you say, I have Shalom Bayez problems. He says, no problem, let me bring a rope. 
Let me bring a rope. And he makes a knot between the husband and the wife. That's going to be your Shalom Bayez. Maybe it's a good idea sometimes to tie him up. That may be a possible idea. Maybe tie him up, tie her up. I don't know, tie them up together. I don't know, maybe that works. But it's a joke. Why are you all laughing? You're laughing because it's, it's min b'shei neminai. You're looking for a different type of unity. You need an internal unity. You have to recognize that you're part of one institution of marriage. You're part of one home. The rope is not going to do it. And you ha- hopefully have that. And if you have that, you don't need the rope. And if you don't have that, the rope is not going to help. Shabbos, to tie a knot on Shabbos, is a violation of the energy of Shabbos. You know why? Because on Shabbos the world is one. When the Koya Chapoyel Benifel gets revealed, when the divine presence in the world gets revealed, it's one. So to make a, take two things and tie it them together with a knot, if it's a Kesher according to Shabbos, what a Kesher is, like Rashi Rambam, Rashi holds a Kesher is, enduring for eternity. The Rambam holds Maisa Uman, a craftsman's knot. That's why we don't do a double knot, because according to the Shilte Al-Gibarim, that's a Maisa Uman. So the Halach in Arachayim Shin Yudzayin is a Tukshorim, that's, that could be a Malachim in Atayr, at least the Rambam. What am I doing? So I'm just saying, because even that, you have to know what a, what a Kesher is. What a Kesher is. If it's not a, a superficial knot, it's not going to endure, and it's not a Maisa Uman, that's not, not a knot. You know, people make ties or shoelaces, whatever. Uh, what's called a kesher with an aniva, with a bow. We're not talking about that. That's mutter. But a kesher that physically is an enduring kesher between two physical things. That's what you do all week. In fact, that's what they did in the Mishkan. That's Malachas HaMishkan. On Shabbos, it's a violation of Shabbos. Why is it a violation on Shabbos? Just like kneading. What is kneading? You're taking particles that are distinct. You're introducing water. And you're turning particles into a cohesive mass. On Shabbos, that's a violation of Shabbos. Why is it a violation of Shabbos? Because there is a oneness. There is a oneness in the universe. Now that's a fantastic idea. And I did that. What does it mean to be sensitive to the energy of Shabbos? To be sensitive to the fact that the whole world is already really one. And not just one superficially. One like the body. It's one holistic energy. Why? Again, because when you could go... Because there's Aliyah Salamis. What's Aliyah Salamis? That the perception... I wear a higher prescription of glasses, a different prescription. From Atsiya I go to Yitzira. From Yitzira I go to Bria. From Bria I go to Atsila. So what happens? If I'm sensitive to the energy, I may not be sensitive to the energy of Shabbos, but Halacha recognizes that energy is real even if I'm not aware of it. Even if you're not aware of it, you have to be sensitive to the energy. And every Jew has that energy. So actually, Shabbos is a very beautiful idea. It means that every single Jew, whoever he or she is, even an Amaretz Gomer, doesn't know anything. He's actually Mechalul Shabbos. He actually creates a violation. He's actually compromising a very powerful reality of Shabbos by making a knot or by kneading the dough. Why? You're creating a superficial unity where there is already unity, because there's the pnimius of the worlds that emerge, and whenever pnimius emerges, achtos happens. doesn't happen. It is. The only reason there's no achtos is because we see it externally, so everything is separate. The moment you go deeper into the source, in other words, into the Bamalik Kalalman, ultimately it's one. It's divine. Because it is all the chios of Hashem, that is actually the core of all the matters. So you and I are really one on Shabbos. You and really I are really one on Shabbos.
once heard from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Geshma Kevort, it's a Vada Meshavaz de Kevort, and Halacha, the mitzvah of Achnasas Archim is only on Yom Tov, right? On Yom Tov there's a mitzvah of Achnasas Archim, not on Shabbos. Shabbos there's no mitzvah of Achnasas Archim. Yom Tov there's like a chiyuv, the Rambam says, if you celebrate Yom Tov yourself without guests, it's the, it's the simcha of your stomach, it's not the simcha of Yom Tov. He's very sharp about it. Simcha's crazy. The Chazal say that it says, uh, Chagai says, I, the Novi, I despise Peresh Shabbatchem, the excrement of Shabbos. I'm sorry, the Peresh Chagechem, the excrement of Yom Tov. So it says, when you eat on Yom Tov without Orchem, it's Peresh. It's, it's, it's you defecated, it's just soilless. So Chazal say, Peresh Shabbatchem loikar. Because on Shabbos is no mitzvah. So you ask the we know the Kedusha of Shabbos is higher than the Kedusha of Yom Tov. Shabbos is no union of Archim. So Pashtos, because Shabbos is Oinig, Yom Tov Simcha, said like this, that Shabbos, of course it's an union of Achnas Asarchim, but Shabbos, the Oirach is Nishkin Oirach. Shabbos, Mitzad, the energy of Shabbos, the Oirach feels like a Bambayas. The energy of Shabbos creates a situation, the Oirach feels like the Balabayas. So it's not a gather of Achnas Asarchim, because the Oirach by the Shabbos table doesn't feel like a guest, he feels like he's part of the family. Why? Because Shabbos is this Nekud of Lameve Echad Be'echad, so therefore it's reflected that it's not an union of, of course, Achmas Asarchim, but it's, 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 you don't look at it anymore, I'm the host and I'm inviting you to come to my meal and enjoy my meal. It's a hergish of oneness, a hergish of the family. Al Kalpane, this is the higher you go. What do we mean the higher? The deeper you go into the Pnimius of something, the more you see it's a Rishos Hayachet. That's why the Nekud of all Malachas of Shabbos is what? That's why the Mesechta begins with that. Why? Because that's the Geder. The Geder is you're taking it out from Rishus HaYochit into Rishus HaRab. How? Plowing, sewing, tearing, sewing, kneading, writing, erasing, making a fire, or as we saw before, making a knot, or being matter, untying the knot. Same is true, untying the knot. When you're untying the knot, what are you saying? I'm separating you. On Shabbos, that's a violation. That's a violation. This is all part of Memale Kalalmin, which is the first way in which we relate to the divine in the world. He fills the worlds. And because he fills the worlds, there's so many worlds. There's my state of consciousness and your state of consciousness. No two people have the same state of consciousness ever. No, two, not, no person has the same state of consciousness from one minute to another minute. You're a different person. Because the Malakalaman is a constant vibration. So therefore the flow alternates, it fluctuates between one and another, and in one person, between one hour and another hour, etc. This Shinuyim. This Shinuyim in the Malakalaman. So the Malakalaman means Hashem fills the worlds, and what does it mean he fills the world? He has a relationship with the intimate structure of every single nivra based on its composition and chemistry, physically and therefore spiritually, and the two mirror each other. And therefore there's different worlds, different states of consciousness. Let's start the next p'china. But there's a second p'china we call soiv of kalam. Soiv of kalam is the hainu. What's Pshat Soiv of Kalam? Soiv of Kalalman is 
Again, not soiviv in spatial terms. You'll say, I'm around, my hand is soiviv this cup. It's true, my hand is, is around this cup. It's not mamale, it's not, it's not filling the cup, it's around the cup. That's emes. But we have to understand it here completely not in spatial terms. It's rather metaphoric for ideas. And the idea is that he's makif, we call it makif because it encompasses all of the universes bahashva in absolute equality. It's not that they're unified, it's that there's no differentiation. Bashvachas. Like we say Hashavu, Mashva, we say it in the Piyutim of Yamim Nairayim, right? Ha'ichis biad midas mishpat vachalma minim. Hashavu, Mashva, katan vagadl. That is a reflection of Saivev, Saivev Kalalman. Here you will not say one world is higher than another world, one world is more spiritually sensitive than another world, one world feels more than another world. Why? Because you're not talking about an energy that restricts itself and is custom-made and tailor-made to the individual properties of every single creature, and therefore it's measured according to the keli, according to the vessel that you could contain. Here we're talking about a pchina of divine which completely transcends all the worlds. In other words, it's Hashem, a reflection of, so to speak, God Himself, which completely transcends all the worlds, and therefore the highest state of consciousness is equally not a keli to it as the lowest state of consciousness. So this is a concept where all the worlds really are encompassed as one because it's soiv of kalam and it's a type of energy that encompasses, it surrounds all of them. What do we mean surrounds? Surrounds means when you physically surround something, you're not in it. What would it mean here? It doesn't mean he's not in it. It means he's not perceived. It's not perceived by the limited state of consciousness of any creature because my brain, as sophisticated and as brilliant as it may be, your soul, your heart, your psyche, as brilliant and as deep as and abstract as it may be, ultimately has parameters. So mamalik halalmin means that gufa. The divine energy limits itself to your parameters, which is why it creates a brain like your brain. <laughs> because it manifests itself in particular limited forms to make that exact, that exact creature whether it's an animal or it's a human being, whether it's an insect or it's a star, whether it's a drop of water or a flake of snow, whether it's a galaxy or an ocean. That's what Mamala Kalaman is. Saiv of Kalaman is the energy, the way it's not restricted in any particular form or function, and therefore it's Saiv of Kalaman. All the Oilamas are completely Bahashva. Why are they completely Bahashva? Because even the highest state of consciousness cannot perceive this in an internalized fashion, because my eye can only be an eye if Saiv of Kalalman is concealed. Identity happens from a Malik Kalalman. Saiv of Kalalman challenges identity. This creates two different manifestations in religion, Judaism. One affirms identity, and one challenges identity to its core. Yeah. What do you want to ask? Mamala, you understand, because you look at the self and you understand it, right? Okay. Okay. So this means, I'll give one marshal as an intro, and then Be'ez Hashem will continue um, uh, on Monday, but I'll give one marshal as an intro. I gave a marshal from Mamala Kalaman, a good teacher with students. The definition of a good mechanic is, you all have all been to yeshivas, different yeshivas, different styles, teachers, you all know that there's a teacher who basically speaks to himself. 
meaning there could be 30 students in the room, but he's not talking to anybody, because it's like, whoa! I mean, we had a teacher that uh, before Pesach, he decided he has to go through the whole Hilchus Pesach and Shulchan Aruch. The only problem is he didn't have an audience. So he would learn and he learned so he learned through the whole Hilchus Pesach and he knew it very well but he wasn't a teacher <laughs> he was a great Talmud Chacham but he was not a teacher the definition of a teacher is I speak to my students not at my students and I really speak in my students in other words I measure my words my communication my metaphors my anecdotes to the mindset of the audience and if the audience is not a keli for it, I don't say it because I want to. I want to influence. I want they should come away filled with information that becomes theirs. That's the key. Mamalik alman means the information becomes yours. In fact, you own it to the point that you could become an atheist. <laughs> you get that? Mamalik alman allows for atheism. Why? Because God is a good teacher. It becomes yours. It's not even his anymore. Right? You could steal it. You, you, you're saying over, people do it all the time. <laughs> they do it all the time, right? They'll say over a word, it's completely somebody else's. They take credit, they write it, they print it, they say it. And it's like, wow, brilliant. Why? Because they own it. And it, 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 it's, a, it's the greatest count. What do they say? Uh, um, the, what's the greatest? Imitation is the greatest flattery, right? The guy liked it so much, he owns it. Why does he own it? Because you gave it to him and you gave it to him well. He got the vart. He got the vart. It's his vart. And we have it even in Gemara. The Gemara says in Kiddushan, Torah delayu, Rav Shemachal al Kvoide Kvoide Machal, because Torah delayu, it becomes his. The Gemara says, Torah becomes his, in a good way, in a positive way. Let's talk about a different model, okay? Not teacher student. Let's talk about commander in chief and soldier. Commander in chief and soldier. He's the commander in chief of the army. The army has one million troops. Just as a marshal, one million troops. And he gets up there and he says, Go! Go! And they start marching. And you look at the site, and it's quite awe-inspiring. In the 1930s, the Yamach Shemaynik Hitler was an expert in uh, manipulating the sentiments of the German youth by making these rallies because the power of seeing hundreds of thousands of people in unison leaves a very deep impression of camaraderie and, and you know, it, it galvanizes a nation. You, like, melt away in this larger nationalistic collective identity. And he was brilliant in manipulating the, the whole youth this way. But I'm talking now, everything could be manipulated, but I'm talking about in the, in the, in the positive Nakuda. What happens? You have one million people, and they're all marching in an identical fashion. No distinctions. They don't look the same. But they're wearing the same uniform, so they look the same externally. And they're all marching. Acharai. After me. Everybody exactly. Stop! And they'll stop. And if you stop a second late, 900 push-ups. <laughs> There's no chachmas. Why is it so negative you should stop that moment? Because you want to bring out what? What do you want to bring out? You want to bring out not the affirmation of individual identity. What you want to bring out is the submission of individual identity to a larger collective mission statement. That's what you're looking for. Imagine a teacher looks at the students in the classroom and he wants everybody sitting like this for four hours and looking at him like this. It's not a teacher. That's a boot camp. 
One look at look at the Olam now, right? As it's Tazoi. I'm not talking about the guy who's texting. He's not in the class. This one is sitting Azai. Yeah. This one is Azai. Why? 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 Why is he sitting? Not because he, every person has just their way that they absorb information. Some people have to play with something the whole time, right? Some people can't look at the person talking. It just distracts them. That's how it is. That's how it is. They close their eyes. They look away. Not because they're not listening. I know, I know the energies of people. Every person is a different type of mitzvah, and that's what a shir is. A shir has to be about the person's individual mindset, because you're trying to speak to the person. What's about the army? The army is, the commander-in-chief doesn't give an order, and then, okay, now let me hear everybody's feedback. Uh, I think you should do it differently. I don't think we're going to war. Let's go south instead of north. It's going to be a churban. You can have your opinions. We're not talking about dictators and tyrants. That's another Indian. You can have, it's not relevant here. What's relevant here is, you have joined an army that has one commander, and you're ready to submit your individual opinions, your individual mahalach, your individual mindset, to the vision that's articulated by the commander-in-chief, whether he's right or wrong, he's a tzaddik or he's a rush, it's completely irrelevant to us. What about an ashir? If a student asks a question and a teacher says, your question is irrelevant. Completely irrelevant. He's not a teacher. Your question is all that's relevant. <laughs> it's more relevant than the shir. The Gemara says, What about if a teacher looks at the students and says, you guys understood? They say, no. I'm commanding you to understand. You all understand? Yes. You all understood the same way? Yes. It's a joke. There's no such thing everybody understood. And even if yes, there's no such thing everybody understood the same way. No two people understand anything the same way. You'll ask anybody in this room what I said today, everybody will tell you something else, and trust me, you'll hear opposite messages. I can guarantee you. Why? Because nobody hears what anybody says. People hear what they want to hear or what they're capable of hearing. That's a fact. You'll ask any couple that does a little therapy, right? He should repeat what she said. She should repeat what he said. He doesn't repeat what she said. She doesn't repeat what he said. They repeat what they think they said based on what they think about the person already 20 years. Nothing to do with what you say. That's a clown in life. Even if you train yourself and you're, you work on yourself to actually listen, no three people will repeat the same way. Not because they don't want to. Because they can't. Because my bro- what you heard is not what he heard. Because Mamala Kalalman is different for every person. What about in the army? Suddenly here, everybody understands the same. He said, march, everybody understands. How did that miracle happen? And everybody does it the same way. Everybody understood the same way. The vart is, because here the focus is not on the tailoring, accommodating, communicating to the individual diversity, which by definition varies from person to person. Here, what am I searching for? I'm searching for the submission of identity to something higher. In submission, everybody is identical. You know why? Sometimes you have to say things in Yiddish to bring out the, the, the vart. So I'll say in Yiddish. It's a little abstract, but you'll get it. In the Malik Kalalman, the emphasis is on the yeh of the Nivra. Soiv of Kalalman brings out the nisht of the Nivra. The nisht. In nisht, everybody could be identical. <laughs> In yes, nobody can be identical. 
in the assertion of self, my self is not your self. In the submission of self, we can all be identical. You know why? Because it's not about me. <laughs> in, in the submission of self to something larger, to something transcendent, you and I can be one. Because it's, it's the, what the hergish is, is the nishtzich, not the zich. In the zich, mein zich is nicht dein zich. My eye is not your eye. In the nishtich, in, in, in the nishtich, this is, this is where real unity happens. Not unity in the sense that we're all part of something, but, but there's differentiation. Here there's no differentiation. Okay, let's go back. Soiv of Kalalmin is the pchin of elikus on its own. It's infinite. It's not tailor-made to the capacity of the world. When this emerges, the highest world and the lowest world are identical. They all have the exact same relationship. What's the relationship? The relationship is not one of identity, because even the most spiritual identity can't get it. The most spiritual identity cannot absorb that level of energy. Because it's not mitzumtzum, it's not restricted. Just like the commander-in-chief is not busy explaining his position to a million people. Not even to one person. Okay, the marshal is not an accurate marshal because the commander-in-chief is not really in a different state than, than, than the soldier. Experience put him there, perhaps. Wisdom put him there, charisma put him there, elections put him there, tyranny put him there, terrorism put him there, whatever. But the Nikuda is that the energy he's communicating is not an energy that's tailor-made to you, to you, to you, to you. Completely not. All the million soldiers are completely one. Shavu mashma, the short and the tall, the one with the brilliant IQ, with the simple IQ, the one who's more athletic, the one who's less athletic, right? The one who's in the army for 29 years, and the one who's in the army for six months. When I was invited by the Pentagon, I'll finish with this to speak there. So, uh, you know, I grew up in a democracy. I grew up, Baruch Hashem, in the United States of America, in Brooklyn, which is the democracy within a democracy. It's not such a thing you listen to anybody. It doesn't exist, you know. And uh, so, uh, so, uh, so I finished my lecture. They were taking me to the airport. So, you know, so, so, so two of the soldiers were in charge. They say, everything is, sir, 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 please get into the, to the, to the car. They open the door. I come in. And they both go into the car. I say, how far is the airport? An hour and a half or so. So just being polite, like I would do in a regular situation, I say, you know, you both don't have to come. I mean, if you want to keep each other company, it's fine. But there's really no need. If not, you don't have to both both come. They looked at me like I'm a sugar. And they said, sir, those are the rules. Okay. <laughs> Only two people. We get into the car. At some point, they turn to me and they say, sir, the gas is almost empty. Can we stop in the gas station? I'm like, you're asking me permission if you could stop for gas? Or what's the alternative to get stuck on the highway? So they're like, they're looking at me. They're like, yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Can we stop for gas? I'm like, yes, you can stop for gas. But I'm just wondering, why are you asking me? They say, sir, <laughs> that's the rule. That when we drive somebody, we ask for permission to stop for gas. I look at him and I say, could you explain to me the logic behind this rule? If a car needs gas, a car needs gas. Why do you have to ask permission so the man turns around, the one who wasn't driving, he says, Sir, I'm in the army for 25 years. There's no such a thing asking what's the reason for the rule. This is the rule, sir. <laughs> 20. He looked at me. It wasn't that he didn't have an answer. He didn't understand where I'm coming from. 
You're right. In yeshiva, your whole mission statement is to ask a shayla, right? If not, you become not a bacher. There's no chalois of a yeshiva bacher. You know what I mean? Especially if you can't frag up the shia, what are you worth? You don't have dignity. It's a shayla if you exist. But we don't even... In his, he didn't even understand. This is not the, a level in which you operate. He's not busy asking the question to look for an answer. It's a whole different mode. The mode is submission. The mode is obedience, which has its tremendous milus, and in other places has its tremendous chesernus. Has tremendous chesernus. Huh? This is the beginning to understand. You understand now a little more? The typhus, uh, of course it's contradicting. It's two streams of consciousness, and it creates two different movements in a person. And according to the Balatanya, the essential tension of life is navigating between Soiviv and Mamale. And the Judaism, according to him, is basically all about navigating that tension. Because both streams of consciousness are legitimate, they're authentic, and the human soul is sensitive to both. Because they're both very true. And really, Yiddishkeit is an exercise in navigating the two streams of consciousness, which are essentially paradoxical, and can drive you crazy, can drive you crazy because of their paradox. So let's see Peter Gimel again inside. You see Peter Gimel. The second component of the projection of divine energy to the world is called Seviv Kalam and the Hainu Shasaviv Makif Kulu Alman Bashva Achasashavo Mashvakatan Vagadl. What it means is not spatially, that it surrounds the world rather than permeates it. No, that's not what we mean. That's what the Dahainu means. The Dahainu means, don't think it means that there's a spatial relationship in the sense that it surrounds rather than fills, that it's above rather than inside. That's not the case. It's above and it's inside. The reason we call it Soiviv is to represent one truth, and that is that it encompasses all of the worlds in perfect equality. There's no differentiation. In Mamali Kalam, and it's all about the differentiation Hence, constituting the source of individuality. Because when we say it fills the world, it doesn't just mean it fills, it's inside. The world cyber is also inside. It fills means it's tailor-made to every particular creature. It's custom-made, it's restricted, it trickles down, it's defined according to the parameters that that particular nivra can contain. It constitutes the battery and the engine that creates its chemistry, its physical chemistry and its spiritual chemistry and habahatalia, the spiritual chemistry is consistent with the physical chemistry the Chazal say ein lecha esav melmata she'ein loy mazel melmayla hamakabai v'oymer loy gedal there's no blade of grass that doesn't have some spiritual force that strikes it and says grow, grow, grow in other words, even a blade of grass, or precisely a blade of grass, is responsive. It's responsive to an energy. There is a commandment there. It's, it's, not, uh, it's not living in a vacuum. There is a very deep relationship between, the, between every blade of grass and its spiritual life force, which really also means, of course, that the world is a cohesive place. In other words, when you're looking at a tree growing, or you're looking at a blade of grass growing, it's not a blade of grass. 
there's a whole there's a whole relationship here with its divine energy, which is the divine energy in the whole world. So there's really a harmony between the world, but that means there is differentiation. That's the key. Mamalik Kalalman is differentiated. So filling doesn't mean it's filled and not outside. Soibib is also not outside. Filled means that it's relatable to the individual identity, parameters, and consciousness of the Nivra. What about Soibib? Soibib, he says, is Bahashva Achas. It's all equated. There's no differentiation between, between the two. You're not going to say this world feels more of Soibib Kalalman than another world. Because it's more receptive. Because here it's a type of energy that encompasses all of the worlds identically because it transcends them all identically. So there, there isn't different energies. There's one energy and it's just the Nivra that's, that, that manifests the energy differently. But it's all the same. That's energy. true. That is true. That's step that's B. Said. He didn't say it, but it's true. Where did he say it? I don't think I said it, but I have learned that what I say and what I what people hear I say does nothing to do with each other. But I, tell I me what I said. said. Is, it's equal energy everywhere. That's the, the concept of soivim. Yeah, yeah. And the mala is that it's the that it fills it in the way that that relates that to its keli. Relates to its keli. So it's one energy everywhere that that takes a different manifestation based on the nivra. That's what I thought you just oh, said. Oh, oh, okay, okay. So you're saying they're the same, that Soivim is like a general. Yeah, I didn't have Charot. <laughs> you thought I had Charot over the weekend? Yeah, 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 that's what we spoke, yeah. makif This flow is called Makif and Helem. Makif means surrounds, peripheral, and Helem means concealed, which means here the same thing. The reason we're calling it makif, again, is not because it's not inside. Because its relationship with the product, with the entity, is not one that the person or the nivra perceives it consciously. They don't perceive it consciously. Because it's completely above their parameters of consciousness. So we say, what's its relationship with the energy? It's a makif. The energy, so to speak, surrounds it. Or a helm, it's concealed. It never manifests itself in an internalized revelation in the mind or the heart of the person. Why? Because no thought can grasp it and make peace with it. That's what it means. It surrounds all the worlds. Not that it's not in them. It is in them. Of course it's in them. It's as much in them as Mamali, maybe even more. But the point is that they don't grasp that it's in them. They have no conscious appreciation of it. They don't access it in an internalized fashion to be able to process it, to know it, to define themselves based on it. Because there's no way that their self will remain intact if they can detect it, if they can define it. So it's something that's not in a state of gilui, it's in a state of helen. means it's something that may impact somebody and impact them very, very deeply, but they don't even know that it exists in order to impact them, yes. Okay, very interesting. Electricity, uh, yeah, I think so. But, but in the Malikalaman, so. we also don't sense, a blade of grass that gets in Malikalaman doesn't sense in its pneumus that it has a divine energy. 
also doesn't sense it. Right. We may not sense what the source is, but we sense that we have an energy. At least we, we sense that we have an energy. We may not define it as a divine energy. We may not be able to identify its spiritual source, but we can identify the fact that we feel alive on some level. Blade of grass. Uh, okay, what the blade of grass is aware of is, is a good old question, and it's, a, it's an evolving question. They're probably more aware than we imagine. But not. the point is, whether it's aware or not, let's talk at least about a person, or even an animal, right? There's a certain, there's a certain self-awareness of a chios, of a life force that I have, that a vitality that I have. I say, this is me. This is my me, even if I'm completely transparent and I really know myself, would be mamale. Of course, even that, I could be aware only of one external facet of a malakalam and not, you know, how much percent of our brain do we use? Take a brain, right? How much percent of the power that exists in a brain do most people use? What do you think? Huh? 10 to 12. 10%, 10% is not chachidish, huh? No, 10%. 4%. 4% usually, right? So even that which we know about, even that which we could know about, we don't know about. But that's still all in the realm of... Uh, all in the realm of uh, of Mamale. Ki hamshach hazu, because this flow, why does no thought grasp it? Ki hamshach hazu, he may atzmi yis erin seif baruchu shalomayla megeder almen. This hamshach comes. From the core, atzmius means from the word etzem, atzmius, from the core of the light, of the energy of the infinite one, which is beyond the realm of Alman, beyond the realm of worlds. And because it's beyond the gedr, the gedr, the realm, gedr means the, 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 the whole realm of Alman, so therefore it cannot be grasped in the mayach and in the leva adam that a person should be able to consciously internalize it because... Because it comes from the As the Pasik puts it in Malachi, the Navi Malachi says, I God have not changed. So this means on a pshat, it means I haven't changed throughout history, meaning I'm eternal, I'm not changed. It's not like one day I'm here, one day I'm not here. On a deeper level, what he means is that the existence of the worlds doesn't change me. In other words, we're talking about something that transcends the gather of Almin. Ani Hashem Shanisi. He's completely transcends the world. So even the gather of Olamas is completely not defining him. And therefore the whole Bria doesn't make a change. That's what he says. We say this in Davening, right? The Kriyashmav, the Brichas Krishma of Shabbos. There's no erech to you. No erech to you means there's no dimyon. There's no comparison between the nivra and the boyrei. Something of an example would be like a drop of the Atlantic Ocean vis-a-vis the entire Atlantic Ocean. Now, of course, this is not an accurate metaphor because we're dealing with two limited entities. But it just expresses to us, if uh, I ask you, have you ever seen the Atlantic Ocean? You say, no, and I say, I'll show you it to you. I say, here, look, <laughs> you see, this is the Atlantic Ocean. Now, it comes from that, may come from, not this coffee, but uh, a drop of water may come from the Atlantic Ocean, but everyone understands that uh, there's absolutely no erech 
no erich between the two. Even though, again, here it's the same quality, it's the same type of water. In fact, by analyzing this drop of water, you could uh, understand, <laughs> perhaps, properties of the entire ocean. But it's the mushal that in Gashmias, it does not capture it, it does not reflect it, certainly not its grandeur, its uh, titanic dimensions, no, no pun intended, actually. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's majesty, its awesomeness, and so forth. So he says, There's no capacity in any created being, which is mechudish, which is new, renewed, which is created from nothing to something, to contain the revelation of this oil, of this energy, without becoming completely obliterated. There's no way he or she can remain intact and retain their identity if Soiv of Kalalman would be manifested because it would defy the very parameters of their existence and therefore the very sense of I. For the I to be intact, Soiv of Kalalman must remain unconscious, an unconscious force, even though very active and very real and maybe more real than Mamali. But what could be actively conscious in the person's consciousness is only Mamali because that allows for the existence of the I, whatever that I is. Whatever that I is, emotionally, intellectually, cognitively, every level of I, in every creature from the highest to the lowest. And there is a differentiation between worlds. We're in Saif of Kalam, which is an infinite expression of his presence, of the core of his presence, that transcends the realm of worlds. So number one, all the worlds are equal. All the worlds have the same relationship with Saif of Kalam, because even the highest world, the most sensitively spiritual world is not a keli to be able to absorb it within its parameters. So therefore the lowest world has it as much as the highest world because it's not based on their own spiritual sensitive perception. Where Mamalikalam and you can't compare. This is Atzillas, this is as explained all the different Gdarim, Pshat, Remes, Rishsoid differentiation that comes from your lack or broadness of spiritual sensitivity. The larger keli can contain more oil. The larger cup can contain more liquid. The larger brain, so to speak, can contain more wisdom, right? The larger body, the larger vessel, can contain more of that energy, the conscious energy. But Saiv of Kalalman, even the highest can't contain it. So therefore the lowest can contain it just like the highest. It's Shavu Mashva Katan Vagadl because the Gadl is not closer to it consciously than the Katan. Alamai, it's unconscious. If it's unconscious, then the cotton and the gadol are completely the same. That's why it's called Saiv of Kolalman. All the worlds, even though it's inside the worlds, but the way it's inside the world, its interaction with the Nivra is one of hell and one of unconsciousness, not one of consciousness. Nonetheless, the Chazal say, the Afal Gav the Iu Loi Chazi, Mazli Chazi. It's quoting here the Mori Mesechta Megillah. The Gemara tells the story about Daniel. The Pasuk says in Daniel, Daniel says, I saw myself the vision. The people did not see, but they trembled. So the Gemara says, if they didn't see, why did they tremble? So the Gemara says in the beginning of Masechta Megillah, Dav Gimel, Afal Gav the Iu Chazi They did not see, but their Mazel saw. What does it mean that their Mazel saw? What does this mean? 
even though we said that no thought can grasp Saiv of Kalalman, this is only when you talk about a conscious grasp of it. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't impact the person. It can impact the person and impact the person deeply. That's what the Gemara means. Afalgav the Chazi, Chazi. Sometimes you don't see something, but your mazel sees it. And because your mazel sees it, you're trembling. So here we have a complete description of a force in a person's life that is completely unconscious, they're unaware of it, and yet it transforms them completely. But they don't know that it's transforming them because they don't even know it exists. It's interesting because people would usually attribute this idea to uh, a much later generation of psychoanalysis and so forth, 150 years after this. The whole idea that there is an unconscious and the unconscious affects you. In fact, most of your life may someone actually be... Huh? Someone who can understand the unconscious and not <laughs> Depends what you're talking about, unconscious. Freud's unconscious is not his unconscious. It's two separate unconscious. But uh, the point here is that there's something in a person that's very, very deep. It may be deeper than everything else, and it can impact the person very profoundly. And they're yet they're unaware of it because they cannot detect that. It's too overwhelming. It's too beyond their realm. And therefore their conscious brain makes it ignores it. It dismisses it because it doesn't even know it exists. But nonetheless, that's what the Gemara is saying. but Now what does the word mazel mean? Literally, we mean his mazel feels it, his mazel sees it, some level of them. He says this is actually very meticulous. In Bilam's, in Bilam's poetry, Bilam's prophecies, he says, Let water flow. Noizel is like a liquid that flows. From its source, from its barrel. It means a flow, a communication. Like we say, mazel. Mazel is, in diktuk, is mafil. It's that which is mazel. It causes that flow. Noizel is that which flows. Mazel is that which is mazel. It causes that flow. This refers to the neshama that is not enclosed in the body. Not the whole soul is manifested in one's body. Only a ray of the soul comes into the body. The core of a person's neshama hovers over him from above. That's what mazel means. Mazel refers to the part of the soul that does not come into the body. When that source of the soul experiences something, a flow trickles down to the part of the soul that's in the body. So this means that most of ourselves we absolutely don't know. This is even Mamali Kalam. The neshama that we relate to is only a ray of our neshama. The essential part of a person's neshama doesn't even become manifested in the body, although it's linked up to the soul in the body because they're one soul. <laughs> So when that soul experiences something, that soul is called a mazel because it creates a noisel, a flow that trickles down from the superconscious to the conscious, from the supersensory self to the sensory self. So therefore, I sometimes experience something I don't know why I'm experiencing. I don't have an explanation why I'm experiencing. But what's often happening is that my soul is experiencing something in a very powerful way. But I have no way of knowing it because my conscious knowledge is based on the soul that is manifested in the brain, which is only a very, very restricted energy of the soul. So therefore, there's some things my soul grasps that I wouldn't even know my soul is grasping. 
But what happens is, this is what this is what you say, your mazel. What's mazel? Mazel is not some mystical superstitious term. You say the yid hot mazel. Okay, it means, you know, we say mazel means you have good luck, right? You have good luck. But uh, good luck means that when you go on for shay, it's when they're letting the traffic go that direction. So you don't have to stay 20 minutes uh, behind the construction zone. That, that's one level of mazel. They always come in the right time and the right place. However, on a deeper level, what really the concept of mazel really means is that there are things that are happening to our lives and in our lives that we're not aware of. Because what they're being, they're being experienced by our neshama that's higher than our guf. And elamai, that neshama can send a message. A, literally a trickle, that's what mazel means, like a leak of water. Noizel mayim, yizal mayim idolyoi. It's like you have a huge, huge flood on the roof from a rain, and then there's a drainage. It's literally a, a huh? drip. It's literally a like drip. a drip, yeah. yeah. A noisel, a drip. Kemar <clears throat> midli, we say every morning, right? Heim goim kemar midli. A tip of minayam. That's why it's a tip of yamukionos. It's a tip of minayam. A drip comes in, and that creates a certain impact in us, a certain awareness, a certain fear, a certain awe. So sometimes some things happen in a person, you don't know where did it come from. Why are you suddenly having an emotion suddenly? Something people don't know where it comes from. It could be in a positive, very positive sense in terms of inspiration or isairus. It could be sometimes the opposite sense, a tremendous fear, a panic. Something overwhelms you, and you don't know what. That's what the Gemara says. Iu chazi, A person is more than the person. A person is more than what meets the eye. The whole neshama that's higher than the guf, I have no access to in a conscious way. It's me, but I have no access to it. Only through the mazel, which means the trickle that comes down, which may just result in an emotion. But I can't put that emotion in context because I don't know what I'm experiencing. So is that the concept of harem before? When a person has a needle or a harem that he's cut off, so to say, from his... Yeah. There's certain things that exist and a person may not be aware of that it's really happening to them. Specifically with regard to that trickle, that noise of that's coming, so you put up, what does it mean that a person is cut off? Oh, 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 that you're saying, that, that they're cut off. He's cut off. On some level, yeah, on some level it can be, yeah, that's what you meant. I didn't understand. Exactly, yeah, could be even higher. Not not talking about, you're talking about generally that there's a chelik, the etzim on the shama is called mazel because it's not mavubash in the guf. Different names for it, and that itself can be discussed on different dimensions. On that level of mazlayu, of course they tremble tremendously. Tremble means that they were completely in awe because they saw something that's very, very powerful. Because of this mazlayu de chazi, Daniel saw the vision. What does it mean he saw it? He made, he made peace with it. He grasped it. It could be internalized. He wasn't overwhelmed by dread. The men that were with him, since their hasaga, their comprehensive cognitive faculties didn't have the power to contain the vision. Only in the state of mazlayu, only their mazl, which is beyond cognition, could grasp it, can see it. Puts down his clolum. All comprehension always comes from what? 
from the extension, from the ray of the soul, the way it comes into the body, in the brain. That's what hasag is. Comprehension means the least of it. That which you can comprehend means that which your brain can wrap itself around, so that never comes from the etzim hanashama. That's only from the hispashtus hanefesh. And their brain was too small to contain that vision, so all they experienced was a tremendous charada, a tremendous tremble, which is basically something was too high, so therefore it creates a tremendous awe. That's what charada is versus yira. Yira is containable. Charada is overwhelming. By Yitzchak it says, by Yecherad Yitzchak, charada gdoila. Rashi says, he saw Pischa Shalgev. It was a tremendous tremble, a tremendous tremendous yira beyond the regular level of yira, of awe, of, of, of reverence, of fear. Daniel grasped it because his soul was much higher. Even though it was so big No, he's just giving a muscle. He's giving a muscle. He's using this as a, as, as a, as a, a metaphor. Right. So Daniel was a much higher space. So therefore, even the neshama that's in his brain, which is only a ray of his soul is so large, so can experience it. So therefore, he can contain it. And because he could contain it, it didn't overwhelm him. The people that were with him, the soul above them grasped it. But that which you grasp with your mind is never the etzim of your soul. Because what comes into your mind is only a hispashtus. Hispashtus means a certain trickle, a certain ray, a certain extension of the soul. Which is, of course, not your etzim hanefesh. But therefore, in my etzim hanefesh, I can see things, hear things, know things, experience things that my mind never knows. But what does it do? It still trickles down. So all the mind, what happens to the mind, what happens to the soul in the mind is it starts trembling. It's like, whoa, this is heavy stuff. This is really heavy stuff. In fact, we have here really a model of anxiety. We have here a model of anxiety, really. These are, very, these are models that could be used in different situations. This is basically a model that much of what's impacting us, we don't know why it's impacting us. We know it's impacting us. And you try to look for the reason, but you can't, because what you're looking for is not where you're going to find it, because what you could see is not what it is. It's hiding. It's completely hiding. If you would be able to see it, it wouldn't impact you in such a powerful way. The reason it's impacting you in such a powerful way is because precisely it's, 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 it's hidden from you. You can't see it, and therefore you can't make sense out of it, and therefore it's overwhelming you. You could draw it out. Well, you could trace it back. This, this itself is tremendous awareness. <laughs> this is tremendous awareness that there's something going on completely beyond your consciousness. Right? You see this, I'm going to use a mundane example, twitches or panic or tremendous anxiety. People have anxiety. They don't know why. Suddenly they started to bite their nails. They started to pull out their hair. They started to shake their legs. <laughs> You have no control. The reason you don't—it's good you have no control because it's in a way it's your healthiest part that's responding to truth without manipulating it cognitively. It's the part you can't manipulate. Conversations you manipulate. Psychiatrist once told me, I said, "You know people well." He says, "How do you know? Most people don't speak." He says, "You think I listen to what they say? I just look at their body for an hour. I see everything. I don't listen to what they say. They're hacking shiny. They don't even know what they want or what they're scared of. I look at their body. I see what's happening." No, because words are filtered. Words are filtered. Everything is with a filter. So sometimes a person has tremendous anxiety. So sometimes it's identifiable. 
they have a deadline, whatever it is. But sometimes the anxiety is coming in from where, what, what happened suddenly. No major crisis suddenly entered into their life. <coughs> but the truth is that they became aware of something. They became aware of something. And the way they're processing it is, what they get is completely overwhelming. Why is it completely overwhelming? Because it's coming from a space that they cannot contain. And therefore the way they deal with it is like, whoa, I'm just anxious. This is destroying me. There's a blessing. What's the blessing? The blessing is that by working through it, you're going to open yourself up to a place in yourself that is much deeper, is much more real. In other words, these moments allow you to connect to super sensory, super conscious places in yourself which otherwise would not be able to. So these are almost windows that point to places that are far more expansive in a person. But it's difficult because it comes through a harada. It doesn't come in an organized, nice fashion because it is overwhelming. The reason it's overwhelming is because it comes from a much deeper place that I have not made sense of. So all anxiety is really an invitation to enhanced self-awareness. Is that true, Dr. Lam? All anxiety is an invitation to enhanced self-awareness. That's really what he's saying in one, on one level. It's not fun. <laughs> it's certainly not fun because you've got to deal with all these stuff in your mind, you know, and it's hard, but that's what it really is. If yeah, you could just stick... Way to self-awareness? Yes. Yeah. Tell me another way. Shock <laughs> treatment. Okay, okay. I mean, we don't go down that road. Unfortunately, sometimes that's needed, but we don't go down this road. But this is an ordinary road because it's it's famous Mishnah For every person, it means something else. You know, what's busha for you? What 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 freaks a person out? One person, right? They lost the keys to their car and they're freaked out. So there, the source of anxiety is very simple. They lost the keys to the car in America. That can be a big crisis. You don't find the keys to your car. But there's much deeper and deeper and deeper. But generally, all these stuff with people, with fears and with things coming, why are different people responding in different ways? It has to do with how they're processing the story. And how they're processing the story has to do with what we know of the story. What we know of the story is not necessarily the whole picture. So that's the point here that uh, Daniel says, I didn't get scared because I saw it. They couldn't see it. But their mazel saw it. And because their mazel saw it, it had a tremendous impact. What was the impact? Charada. Charada, complete charada. And this is what happens to Yitzchak. What happens to Yitzchak? This is the story of Yitzchak. Yitzchak has a plan. The plan is to give the brachas to Esau. Suddenly he finds out that he got the food from Yaakov and he gave the whole brachas to Yaakov. That means what happened was that the person he thought he was blessing, he wasn't blessing. He was blessing a whole new person. What did that do to Yitzchak? He understood which part of him was giving the brachas to Yaakov. It wasn't his cognitive self. On a cognitive level, he was giving the brachas to Yaakov. To Esav. But as he was giving the brachas to Esav, yeah, on a superconscious self, he was giving the brachas to, to Yaakov. His etzim and shaman knew who Yaakov is. He didn't have to touch him. Your hands have to touch somebody. The score of your soul knows who it is. So on a supersensory level, he was blessing Yaakov. On a sensory level, he was blessing Esau. When those two met, 
He couldn't see it when Yaakov was there. Now, that's exactly what Rivka wanted, of course. Rivka wanted that the brachas, the Balatani says somewhere else, look at the Torah, that Rivka wanted that the brachas to Yaakov should come from a superconscious level. That's why she wouldn't tell him. Because if she would tell him, he would have to listen to her. The Imahis always win in Chumash. The Avis. If Yitzchak would have told Hashem, Rivka wants me to bless Yaakov, what would Hashem told Rivka? Tell Rivka? What he tells every Jewish husband. So why does Rivka have to manipulate? The Pshat is because she wanted the Shabila Maila Menadas. Why did she want Shabila Maila Menadas? Chidush Harim writes very powerful stuff. Chidush Harim says that uh, that Rivka knew that one day there's going to be many, many Jews who look like Esau. They're really Yaakov, but they look like Esau. If she would have told the Yitzchak to give the brachas to Yaakov, Yitzchak would say, Yaakov, I'm going to give you the brachas. What would happen? Yaakov would go to the mikveh, say L'shem Yichot, put on a gartel, fast bahab, he would say the whole tilim four times, right? He'd learn through a masechta and shas, and then he would go in to get the brachas. So who would get the brachas? Yaakov would get the brachas. Yaakov, who looks like Yaakov, who is Yaakov? What about all the Jews in history who look like Esau? They dress like Esau, they think like Esau, they talk like Esau, they behave like Esau. They would be excluded. Rivka was the ultimate Yiddish mama. So she wanted every Jew, even the Jew who looks like Esau, should also get the brachas. So she sent in Yaakov dressed up like Esau. So the bracha comes even to the Yaakov who's dressed up like Esau. That's what the Chidush Harim writes. This was Rivka's accomplishment. Now, if you want to take this a little bit, one step up, a little more abstract, in other words, the brachas came from a place that were lamaylam in hadas. They came from a place that was beyond das. Sometimes as a Jew, on a das level, he's Esau. On a deeper level, he's Yaakov. So the brachas went there also. So that, that's what Rivka wanted to accomplish. But I'll call upon him, what's Negea here? This is a metaphor for an idea that something can impact you very profoundly, even though consciously you don't know what it is. Why? Because you can't sense that itself. All you can sense is how it influences you. But from there, you could deduce and say, hmm, let me, let, me, uh, let me see what's going on. Let me look under. Let me look under. And when you look under, it's a vista. It's a window to to a higher a higher space of reality. Okay. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net/donate.